You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Well, good morning. How many of you guys have ever been to Disneyland? Anybody ever been to Disneyland? Who's ever, like, really wanted to go to Disneyland? It's like, when I was a kid, I was like, that was like the epitome of magic, you know? When I, when I was a kid, all I ever wanted to do was go two places, to Chuck E. Cheese uh, uh, or um, Disneyland. Those are, like, those are like the things, you know, and, or Chuck E. Cheese type places. And as a kid, I never got to go to either one, so I had a deprived life. Um, and, you know, the reason why my parents always told me or my mom when, when she was a single mom off and on, and, and uh, the reason was cost too much. Right, cost too much to go to Disneyland. I mean, road trips sound awesome, man. Getting in a car and driving, and uh, you know, one of our daughters, uh, she graduated this past year, and so she wants to take this road trip adventure. Right, she wants to drive from here to Oregon. <laughs> That's a long drive. That sounds like a blast. I'm like, you should totally like go through California and hit San Diego and hit. Los Angeles or whatever, and, you know, drive, you know, so we're planning this trip, and guess what's holding her back so far? Money, right? So we're, like, having to budget through money, and so road trips are great. Uh, they're fun. They're adventure, but what about the money? The big thing that keeps us from a good road trip often are the resources. When planning or when you're on a road trip, you can't help but wonder, am I going to have enough? Is there enough? What if I don't have enough. That's the game changer, the resources, the funds, the wallet. The road trip of life is not free. And so today I want to talk about everybody's favorite thing to talk about, and that is the wallet, right? We're going to talk about the funds for the road trip, and each of us have a road trip in our life that God's called us to do, or an adventure, or a dream that God's put in our life. And this series is all about understanding God's will for our life in the road trip of life, the adventure. But a lot of times, the things that God puts on our heart, the things that God has inspired us or, or called us to be a part of, the, the thing that often stops us immediately is money. Like, for instance, just mentioning the Honduras mission trip. Some of you got like, oh, man, I'd love to go to Honduras, not even knowing how much the trip might cost. But immediately you tell yourself, I'd love to go to Honduras, but I don't have the money. Immediately. It's like a barrier. It's on your heart to go and to be a part and participate in certain things in this exciting adventure of God. But money often Stops us. So much can be said about this issue. The Bible actually talks a lot, a lot about our resources, the fear and worry of it. What if I don't have enough? What if I won't have enough? What if I run out? What if it never comes in? This is the place where, where the cost of something and faith unite. Because obviously we look at the cost of something and we think, oh man, that number, oh, whew. and then there's a measure of wisdom with faith that have to be married in this issue. So we're going to look at how to marry faith and wisdom and how freedom is greater than the fear and how you can have through the right thinking and through the right actions, freedom in your finances. Now, I have a couple of things that represent represent what we often look at money as being and I have three things and I have this I have this uh, wrench you know because you know and we have this hammer and then I have this knife when you say knife you got to say it like crocodile Dundee you have the you call that knife <laughs> yeah somebody else I, I came in today and I said I felt like Mike Walls today 
And it's kind of funny. I, I planned on t- walking up to him and say, I feel like you today. And guess what he had in his hand while I, I looked at him and said, I feel like you today. He already had his knife out and in his hand. And I'm like, <laughs> and it, it, they look very similar. Now, these are the three ways that we look at uh, our money. We look at money sometimes as a neutral object that is just for building, right? You can make things with that money. That money is like a brick. You know, you just kind of, it constructs things, it's neutral, and, and it, you just, it's there to build stuff. We all see them as a tool of some type, but some of us just see it as a brick or as a board or as a, and in a hammer, as in a tool just to build stuff. And then we see it as a, as a tool that is a multifunctional tool. Now, if you're me, this is not only a tool to build and create, but it's also a hammer. Maybe it shouldn't be used as a hammer, but sometimes, uh, you know, money is looked at as a, as a tool to, to open things, to close things, and to create things. And sometimes it can be used improperly in ways that could damage uh, that resource. And then some of us look at it as a knife, as it's something to manipulate people with, a source of power, a source of strength that you can threaten people with and control people with. And see, the problem is, is that it is none of these things really. I mean, if it's one of these, the closest it would be would be the wrench, something that opens and closes but can used, be used often inappropriately. It is more than just a neutral tool, and it is definitely not a tool of manipulation, control, and fear. But we often have a perspective of our wallet that is not really biblical. There are, you know, we live in uncertain financial times, and Some worry about paying the rent, the mortgage, and some worry about getting groceries on the table. Others have no worry about food on the table, but they're more worried about the the zeros in the account rather than the food on the table. And to all of this, God says, I have an answer. So today, we are going to answer the, the question of will there and is there ever enough money? And how you think right and how you do in this area, both are vital. You can think right, but not do right with poor financial choices, or if you have a prop, improper view of money, then you're going to start off wrong. So what I want to do now is I want to explain to you a little bit about how to think right about finances. Now, this is not often something that people like to talk about, particularly in church, because it's just one of those sensitive issues, probably one of the most sensitive issues in a person's life, because they spend more time and energy Uh, making and creating this tool, this resource, uh, more than anything else. On average, the average person spends more time at work than they do with their spouse or with their own children. And so there's a lot of our heart invested into this area. So that's why the Bible says so much about it. However, a lot of churches, a lot of people, ministers, have used this material or used the context of the Bible to manipulate and to control people and use it as an improper tool. So what I want to do is help you to have financial freedom, all right, and freedom in the mind, first of all. So let's take a look at this. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. We're going to look at a lot of verses, and these are only just a few of the many, many verses that are in the Bible about this. Uh, Philippians 4.11 says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. It's talking about blessing and God's provision. He says, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. So you guys know exactly what that's like. 
Now, some of you guys, you know what it's like to have all your needs met and to have plenty. And some of you, uh, you've lost it all and you've gone broke. You know, you, or maybe it's the other way around. You've been poor and now you're not poor anymore. Or maybe you're struggling again, you know. Paul says, you know, I know what it's like to, to have enough and to not have enough. He says, I have learned the secret. I love this. I have learned the secret of being content in every one of those situations. And by the way, this is something that must be learned. He says, I have learned the secret. Even Paul had to learn this. The apostle Paul, the man who talked and walked with Jesus, who knew Jesus, Jesus interfered in his life and said, Paul, I have a mission for you. They talked. He had a dynamic walk and relationship and prayer life with God. But yet, this is something even Paul had to learn. He says, I've learned the secret that regardless of whether I have a lot or regardless of whether I have not enough or it looks like I don't have enough, whether I have a lot or plenty or not enough, he says, whether well-fed, or whether living in plenty or in want. He says, here's the secret to being content, that no matter where I find myself, with wealth or with poverty, this is the secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, we love this. This is the Jesus junk verse. This is the verse that shows up on, like, the, the mugs and the T-shirts and the mints. You know, these are the, you know, there's testaments, the, the, the ultimate in Jesus junk. Uh, you can get them like in Christian stores or big mega churches, and, and the, you know, because the regular certs won't do. You got to have a, a scripture on the verse uh, or verse on the mint or a cross on the mint because somehow your breath is holier with a Christian mint. But this is often overused, uh, and, and they use this verse man, I can, man, I'm up to bat. I can do all things. You know, it's like, I've got this, I can make this, I can do this test, I can achieve this goal, I can overcome this this speaking situation. You know, that verse is in a context of finances. That verse is in the context of whether you have a lot or whether you are struggling to get by. I've learned the secret to getting through that situation. And that is, I've learned the secret to having peace and contentment. And that is this, that the Lord is with me, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So what is financial freedom? First of all, I want you to know that financial freedom is not a dollar amount or a goal. It's, uh, financial freedom is not about reaching a retirement goal or a savings goal. It's not about going to some seminar uh, at some financial institution or training seminar or how to get rich and, and you put the pictures on the wall and you, you, put it, you, know, you put that dollar amount on your dash. And it's not about a goal that you've reached or a portfolio uh, intention. It is, however, this. Financial freedom is a life free from excessive worry about money because true riches, the Bible says, is being content in all things. Hebrews 13, 5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So with confidence, we can say this, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? What can MasterCard do to me? You know, what can Discover do to me? They're the worst, man. Don't cross discover. You know what? What can you know? You know my, that electric company. What can Frontier do to me? You know the X Verizon. You got this. What can what can they do? If God is for me, who 
can be against me. And he says, I've learned, he says, men, to be free from this desire and this love for money because I've learned that God will never leave me and that I don't have to worry and I don't have to be up all night. Now, this is not about being unconcerned about your finances. And this is not about not paying attention to your budget. This is about rather living free from excessive sleepless night worries over money. Because in Christ, God has, in Jesus Christ, has got you taken care of. See, some of us here, you worry constantly about money. And some of you have plenty of money, but you worry about the zeros behind that dollar amount that you have. You know, the, the stock market, the economy, you're watching it, or, or maybe you're not even at the, in that level of money. You're like, man, stock market, that's that's not even part of my life. I'm just looking at, at the gas gauge, you know, and I, that's what I'm worried about. And so we're on different levels, and you're wondering, am I going to have enough money to get to work tomorrow? You know, you know what? Financial freedom is not worrying excessively about that, knowing that, yes, you need to be uh, concerned and, and take care of your business well and be a good steward, but this is about not having excessive sleepless night type worry and anxiety over it. Number three is financial freedom is a life free from the endless pursuit of money. For some, no matter how much they have, they just want more. They just want better. They just want nicer. Ecclesiastes, Solomon says this to his son in chapter 5, verse 10, he says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. That means no matter how big a house you have, you're going to require more and more in order to fill that house, pay for that house, or to, to, to be satisfied in that house. He says, like, the more you have, the more you're just going to want to eat. He says, and what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? That means that at some point you're just going to look at, go, look at all this stuff that I have, and I'm still hungry. You see, regardless of how much money someone has, there was a national survey taken among adults, and they were asked, how much money would it take for you to be content? And regardless of the income of the person on this survey, this is important. This is some people that were, uh, you know, wealthy on the upper scale of, of middle income to those that were in a very low income. Every person said, or not every person, the majority of people, about 85% said that if I only had ten dollars to $15,000 more a year, I would be content. Even wealthy people still lack financial freedom. Proverbs 23, 4 says this, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off like the eagle, <laughs> fly off it to the sky like the eagle. And I, and I picture this, you know, and this is every, every, every bit of cash that I get, you know, in my wallet. This is my bills, just kind of, I pull them out like, you're like, you're just trying to catch them, you know, and, and it's, and you, you, you see this, and you're like, by the way, just so you know, I have $14 in my pocket right here, which will be gone by the end of today because it is flying away. Every time we open our wallet, it's flying out of our wallet, you know? So there's this, don't, 
grab onto it and pursue it because it, it's an endless pursuit. And financial freedom is free from this endless pursuit goal. Ancient, there's the ancient lie that contentment will come after I buy one more thing. Contentment is just around the corner, you might say. You know, one more raise, just one more nicer car, just one more trip, uh, two more things to buy. Once this gets paid off, we have this lie that somehow we'll finally be content. Don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with enjoying the things that, that God allows you to buy. We're going to look at a verse later on. 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, Set your hope on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So there is a measure of enjoyment with the things that God provides for us. But 1 Timothy, before uh, he says that, says this in verse 6 of the same chapter. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Or some translations say is great richness or true riches. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, uh, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich or chase after stuff all the time fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Maybe you've seen it. People who just, for the sake of, 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 of having money, of being famous, of, of having financial success or wanting to live in a certain size house or a certain type of car or, or to have and own certain types of possessions. They've chased these things and it's been a trap into many foolish and harmful desires and it's plunged them into ruin. Their marriage is ruined their, or uh, their relationship with their kids are ruined or, or some of you, your relationship with your friends are, are hanging on a thread because of this issue. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have even wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. By the way, it says the love of money. It doesn't say money is the root of all evil. Money is a tool. It's a tool that even God uses. But the love, the pursuit, that endless pursuit, that desire to just have more, to just have one more, to just get a little bit more, that is the root of all kinds of destruction in our life. Sadly, many people starve relationships, their family and their friends in the pursuit of money. And they work their entire life to get a certain amount of money in the bank and to be successful and to have a retirement only to die once they retire. And, to, and see, and the tragedy is not that they die. We're all going to die. The tragedy is that they never truly lived. Some of us were so consumed with something 20, 30, 40, 50 years that we never learned to live now in the joy and the relationships that God has given us. You see, and that pursuit of money can take us into some very lonely places in life. At times, our stress with finances is really because we've raised the bar too high on what we consider essential needs, needs versus wants. So what I want to do is I want to give you some tips on how to have financial freedom, and it starts with how we think. And to be honest with you, this is not easy. It's not easy for me, and I know it's not easy for you. Uh, this is a sensitive topic, but I want us all to be free. You know, as a church, we're about to transition from here, and we're taking a road trip right across the street. And uh, with that comes 
uh, resources. And with that comes in your life, wherever God, some of you guys are college students trying to figure out what you're going to do with your life. If you're going to move out on your own or if you're going to stay at home or, you know, some of your parents and trying to figure out how to take care of the house, how to pay the bills, how we're going to get this car working again. And, or maybe you're, you, you've got that settled, but you're thinking about maybe down the road a little bit. What happens if the, if the economy breaks or if I lose my job? And, you know, there's all this anxiety. Well, how to have freedom in this? How to not be afraid? Because freedom is greater than fear is this. Number one, you need to know who God is. He's the king and owner of all things. This is the foundation of everything that that is about freedom in this area. The foundation of financial freedom is this. Our money belongs to the Lord. All of it. All of it. Everybody say all of it. Never forget it. This should immediately affect how we view it and how we use it. Deuteronomy 10, Psalms, 1 Corinthians says this. It says, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. 1 Corinthians 10, 26 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Psalm 50, 10 says, Every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hill. And you got to understand that that verse was written in a very agricultural community where it was uh, farming and, and herdsmen type. So basically God says all those resources, all those things that you think you possess, no, they belong to the Lord. And there's more about this in 1 Corinthians 29, 11, and 12. And here's the point. It's not yours. It's not mine. It's not your company's. It belongs to God. God claims exclusive ownership of everything in this world. That's good news for us. Why is that good news? Because that means that God is above and greater than any financial hardship, any economy that might come our way, or any government that's in office. Because God owns it all. So that immediately should give you a sense of peace and comfort and freedom. Here's the second thing you need to know. is not know who God is, but you need to know who you are in Christ. You are an heir to royalty. In Jesus Christ, you are going to be taken care of regardless of the circumstance of your finances. This is what Philippians says. It says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether fed or hungry, living in plenty or what. What's the secret to financial freedom? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So what's the secret? I am in Christ. Christ is in me. I can make it through any financial struggle through Christ's strength. That's the secret. If you understand who you are in Jesus, when you look at that bank account, when you look at the bills, when you get that letter in the mail, you can do this because God in you, if you are a Christian, has given you the strength and you can endure all things. When that, when that letter, when that attorney shows up or when that issue seems to stop you in your tracks, you're like, oh man, I don't think I can do that. Man, when thinking about this mission trip, you think, I don't know if I can do that. You know what? If this is a financial issue and you're a Christian, you are an heir of royalty and you can do all things through Christ financially through God who gives you strength. 
Paul, speaking of how God faithfully provided for him in a time of need, he wrote to the same church a few verses later. He says this, he says, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Jesus Christ or in Christ Jesus. Again, Paul had to learn this. So do we. Here's the next thing about thinking right when it comes to financial freedom is remember the money is not an accurate measure of God's favor. Many people somehow think that money is, when money is good, then God is happy with you. And then some people think that when when money is bad, that somehow maybe God is not pleased with you. And we begin to grade that God is somehow with us or for us based upon how our wallet is doing or how the funds are. This is not the case. This is not the measure of, of, of God's faithfulness. The measure of our faith is our trust and obedience in what he says. 1 Timothy 6.5 says this, There is constant friction between people of corrupt minds who have robbed us, who have been robbed of the truth. What do they believe that has robbed them of the truth? What has done this? This. Those who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. We see this in some churches, and we see this with TV ministers and preachers. We see this often where there are people that somehow view that how well you are financially is a mirror to how well you are spiritually. We see this in, in, in all kinds of ways, unfortunately, in the church. But the reality is this. Godliness is not the same as financial gain. It is, godliness is not the means to financial gain. It is the means to eternal gain. Success with God does not guarantee financial blessing. Some of you are like, man, I'm, I'm struggling financial. I'm going to become a Christian, and I'm going to be a tither, and I'm going to get rich. Well, if that's what God has for you, somehow we think that somehow if I'm right with God, then I'm going to have money. That is not what the Bible says. In fact, it says just the opposite. It says it, it could be the case, could not be the case. If it did, then every drug lord, every cartel, all the oil sheiks, corrupt corporations, all of Hollywood and all the big athletes are all closest to God on this earth. Finances are not an accurate measure of God's favor. James 2.5 says this, listen, this is going to knock some of you out of your seats. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has God not chosen, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who loved him? That verse tells us that God decides who is going to be poor and who is going to be rich. Now, whoa, 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 I don't even like the sound of that. God, I don't want to be one of those chosen, right? I don't want to be the chosen poor. Western Christians often see God's riches as wealth rather than spiritual riches. They see God. I was talking to a, I I go to pastor's meetings uh, with other pastors in the area, and one of the guys was praying, and he was saying in his prayer, he was saying how he's got a guarantee from God as a a child of God to wealth and provision. I'm like, man, you're way off. You need to read your Bible more often. You're not guaranteed provision. You're guaranteed spiritual presence that regardless of what you go through or what you're in, whether you have plenty or little, that God is with you and will give you strength. It doesn't say, I know that in all things that when I'm poor, God's going to make me rich. It says, I know that when I'm poor, God's still going to give me strength. 
I'm like, Ted, I don't like the way this is looking. I thought I was going to walk out of here how to, how to make $10,000 by the end of the year. It's not even a measure of God's favor. Wealth can actually, in some cases, for some, be a curse. It can be a hindrance to know Jesus. That's why Matthew 19, 24, Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not only is it not a measure of God's favor, sometimes it can actually keep us from knowing God. Job, uh, in chapters 1 and 2, maybe you guys might know the story of Job. He was a man that even Satan said was blameless, upright, and who had feared God above himself. Job was a man of God, yet Job lost everything at God's approval, and he was still a man of God. In fact, in Job 1.20, a very popular verse that says this, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Job is saying, whether I am rich, God has provided, and whether I'm poor, God will sustain. There's that sense that, you know, God is in charge. The Lord gives, the Lord takes, and I'm still praising him because he gives me the strength that I need. We cannot measure where we are in our walk with God by how big or how much or how fat our wallet is. Here's the next thing you need to know is never let net worth determine your self-worth. Your clothes, how many bills you have in your wallet, not bills as in pay bills, what kind of house you live in, the kind of car you drive, the type of possessions that you have, they do not bring you value. They do not make you better than me or better than somebody else. They do not bring you a greater sense of self-net or self-worth. Never let your net worth determine your self-worth. Continuing in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says this. Paul says, to those that are rich, because he was speaking to a church in Ephesus, the pastor of that church was named Timothy, and Paul was writing to Timothy. He says, remind your folks this. If they're poor, God's got them and will sustain them and keep them strong. But to the rich, he says this, to those that are rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or arrogant or the sense of that they are somehow better, more important. Sometimes people who get money, they have this sense of haughtiness or arrogance that somehow makes them feel that because they have figured out a way to make money, that they are somehow better than other people. And so the challenge here is, is don't look at how much you have and think you're better, but also don't look at how little you have and think you're less. Jeremiah 9.23 says, this is what the Lord says, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, or the strong man boast in his strength, or the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast about this. Let him be excited about this, confident in this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For this is what I delight in, declares the Lord. Sometimes gaining wealth can cause people to think they're more important or more knowledgeable or more value, uh, valuable than they really are. There's actually an advantage to being poor. You're like, <laughs> really? Yes. James tells us, that there's actually an advantage to being in poverty. James 1.9 says, Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. What? What does that mean? Well, some of the other translations says, They have something to boast about, for they glory in their exaltation. They can easily see, this is what it means, is that those who are poor can easily see that this life is just passing. 
those that, that, that don't revolve their life around money and are done with the endless pursuit of finances, those that even at times struggle financially, it's easy for you to see the glory of the inheritance to come. You know, my mother uh, struggled most of her life with health issues. She's a post-polio victim. She's, she's a polio poster child when she was a child, and she had post-polio syndrome as an adult. She always struggled financially as a single mom, and as she got over, older, it never got easy. And, and I've told you guys this before, but she used to always say, this too soon shall pass. And she used to say that about everything. That's because even in her poverty, she understood that the glory of her inheritance is greater. So he says, those of you that struggle financially, you've got one up on a lot of people. You know how good the glory of his inheritance is that's coming. Those of you that have money, it's harder for you to see this because all you see is the things of this world. So he says, and those who are rich should boast about this. I'm like, this is funny. Those who are rich should boast that God is humbling you. <laughs> I love that. You know, so it's like, yeah, you think you got it all figured out? We have something to be excited about. You're going to lose it all. Be humbled. You have something to be excited about. God is working in you. Humility, because the things you have, it says, they will fade away like flowers in the field. So embrace the humble realization that all that you have will wither away. Sounds exciting. So here's the point. Never judge a person's spiritual life by their finances. Never judge your spiritual life by your finances. I can tell you this, that some of the richest people I've ever met in my life live in a hut with no food in Haiti. Here's another thing I want you to know is that never assume money equals security. Again, we're getting our mindset right on what financial freedom is about. Never assume money equals security. I've got extra verses in your notes for this. Uh, you think, man, if I could only get my retirement set up, I'd be cool. If I get my IRA at a certain level, I'd be great. If I could just get a savings account, man, savings accounts are good. But you're thinking, if I could just do that, then I would have this security and I could sleep. Well, First Timothy says this. He goes on in verse 17. He says, as for the rich of this present age, charge them not to be arrogant, haughty, overconfident. He says this, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So what, what you have, enjoy what you have, but don't find security in what you have. Luke 12, Jesus says this. He said to them, watch out, Jesus said. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Immediately after Jesus says that, he gives a really interesting parable about a successful businessman who was building an empire and how he was building more and more barns and how this pursuit of success and money all of a sudden ended when his life was suddenly taken. And in this story, Jesus says he got the wealth of this world, but he lost his soul. And there's a sense that this Businessman lost his life and his soul, and that those who literally kill themselves to get rich. And, and we've seen, we've heard the stories, you know, from the Great Depression. Maybe you've heard some of the stories where when the stock markets fell and people jumped out of windows, you know. Or we still hear about those kind of things today where a guy gets home and he goes broke and, and he takes a gun to his head because they, their whole life is, is wrapped around the security of their finances. And that is not freedom. You know, we put so much stock in that money being our security rather than the Lord who is our security. He says, 
These cycles, by the way, in our economy are normal. About every eight years, there's a massive break in our economy, a massive fall. It goes up and down. Don't trust in today's economy, but you know who you, can, who you can trust in, and that is the Lord God. Proverbs 18.11 says, The rich think their wealth are as a strong defense. That means a great city. So some of the wealthy think that they are fortified with their money. They imagine it to be a high wall of safety. I like the ESV translation. It says they imagine it as a wall in their imagination. Haughtiness or pride goes before destruction and humility precedes honor. You see, there's this sense in the ancient city-states, that means we live in a culture where we have governments and we live by this like mutual condition uh, uh, agreement around the world that we respect each other's borders. You know, and when we don't, there's conflict. It's rare, but it happens. Okay, more so in other parts of the world. But at the time that the Bible was written, the ancient city-states meant that at any given time, at any given time, a neighboring country could come in and say, I want this village. They wipe it out and they take all the resources and the people who are wealthy in a village are now living in the woods, poor, right? This happened in Rome. It happened in Greece. It happened in the Middle East. It still happens in certain parts of the world today. But in ancient times, the writers were saying, hey, guys, listen, you think you got all this money, but tomorrow a neighboring country could come in and take it all away. So don't trust in it. It could be gone like that. Now, we don't have that fear today that we are going to be attacked necessarily, but we do have an economy, and we do have bills, and we do have tragedies that sometimes hit us financially, and we're not prepared. And the, and the Lord says, hey, don't trust in that. Trust in me. Your security is found in me. And even if it did last, you can't take it with you. There's no U-Hauls behind the hearse. Here's the next thing I want you to know is never confuse stinginess with stewardship. There's two challenges here I want to give you today on this particular area. And the first one is this, to those who have plenty, don't be stingy. Some of you think, well, I'm frugal, so I'm going to be stingy. I'm going to be a hoarder, and that's how you got your wealth because you think it's because you've been a penny pincher. Well, this is what the Bible says to you in 1 Timothy as we continue in that passage to the church there. In Ephesus, he says, verse 17, is for the rich, uh, charge them not to be haughty or arrogant, nor to set their hopes in the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Therefore, storing up treasures for themselves is a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of what is truly alive. See, this is known as heaven's layaway program. You might call it God's eternal investment plan, knowing that you are blessed to be a blessing. So if you have plenty, don't confuse your stinginess as stewardship. In fact, the challenge here is if you have plenty, then be ready to be generous and be generous with that generosity. This is not about the dollar amount. This is about the devotion that's attached to everything we give. I've seen the wealthy be stingy, somehow viewing God as, as that when they give, that they're tipping God and tipping the church and, you know, helping the little people. But I've also seen it with those who struggle with financial uh, money. You can be just as stingy as the wealthy, withholding what you have with white knuckles, afraid to let any of it go. 
That's why when Jesus was in the temple and he looked over and he saw this widow who had nothing in her life except the, the bare necessities, she brought what the Bible says is a widow's might, which is basically the value of a few pennies, okay? And all these wealthy people and Pharisees in the temple, when they drop their offering in the buckets, they ring these bells. Plong. Hey, everybody, <laughs> I just gave money. Plong. You know, they ring these bells. Clang, 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 clang. And then here comes this, this widow who has little to nothing. She brings a few pennies and she puts it in. It doesn't ring the bell, but Jesus notices her. And he says, guys, disciples, see that woman over there? She gave more than everybody. Because she gave out of her need rather than out of her, you know, abundance. See, this is not about, she's, he's like, she's not stingy and she's, she's the greatest in this room. He pointed her out as an example on how we should all be. And he also pointed out the hypocritical Pharisees as how we should not be. So the challenge is not only if you have plenty not to be stingy, but those of you who are struggling, this is my challenge to you. Don't lose your generosity in hard times. Don't become stingy. Live by faith with generous lives. Proverbs eleven twenty four says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. That means suffers because he doesn't have what he needs. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. The one who waters will himself be watered. So this is a challenge. If you have plenty, don't be stingy. And if you struggle financially, don't become stingy. So that's how we think. It starts with how we think. Now I want to give you real simple, it flows out of what we do. And this is what I'm going to end with. And I've shared something similar over the years, but uh, I wanted three simple things that can bring financial freedom. And it, it starts with three letters, GPS. I'm going to talk about them a little bit. You're like, God, what is your guidance? What is, you know, if you were to get the GPS, boop, 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 God, I'm on a road trip in my life in the kingdom of God. What you have for me, I see what you have for me. I see the destination. How am I going to get there? God's GPS for your money is this. The first one is this, give. That means live a biblically generous life. Truth about generosity is not that it is a later issue or about the rich issue. The real reality of generosity is that it starts when you have little. Studies have found that whether uh, you have little or a lot, it's not easier to be generous when you have more. It actually can become harder for many people. And so the Bible challenges us, don't wait for later. And it's not about when you have more than what you think is enough. It's about obeying God and what is simply asked of you to be a generous person. Remember, it's not about the dollar. It's about the devotion. That's why what that widow gave was greater than those large amounts. But together, we can do something dynamic. Proverbs 3, 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Now, again, they were an agricultural company uh, or society. So whenever they farmed, whatever that harvest was, that was like their bank account. That was their income, right? And that's what they sold, and that's how they sustained, and that's how they lived. He says, honor the Lord with the first fruits of all your produce of everything you make. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Man, this is for everyone. This isn't for the wealthy. This isn't for the poor. This is for everybody. This is for all of us. 
See, there's a word there, and the word there is first fruits. It is a word that is used to describe a biblical principle called the tithe. Now, I want to explain the tithe just for a second under this category of give. What is the tithe? It is a biblical principle that means first tenth. That's why it says first fruit. It doesn't say last fruit. It doesn't say leftover fruit. It doesn't say whatever you can, you know, squeeze out of that paycheck fruit. It is the first fruit. You see, the Bible says in Matthew 6, 33, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. That's in Matthew 6. Read the whole chapter. It's about money. In the context of money, God says, seek me first, seek the kingdom first, and then watch what I will do in and through you. And see, this is the challenge. A lot of us, what we like to do, instead of the GPS, we do the P and the S, or actually, we don't do the S either. We do the P, and then we kind of randomly tip God with the G's, and then, you know, maybe if we have enough, we'll save. Here's the challenge. Malachi 3.10 says this, bring all the tithe. Not what we decide to give, but the first tenth. Into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. If you do this, says the Lord Almighty, I will open the windows of heaven for you and I will pour out a blessing so great you have enough room to take it all in. Try it. It says you won't have enough room to take it all in. Try it. Let me prove it to you, the Bible says. Now the Old Testament has a unique way of addressing the tithe. And it's not the way that we do it in the New Testament. Again, it's a principle, not a law. In the Old Testament, there was actually three tithes and what's called a gleaning, where they gave uh, the rounded off parts of their harvest to the foreigners and to the poor and to those that were just traveling through. But oftentimes in the Old Testament, they had up to three tithes. So that could have been up to 36%. The principle of the tithe is not the numerical amount, but the, but the principle of the first tenth. Okay. Now, in their culture, they had three tenths. Now, what the Bible says, well, this, that's all Old Testament. Jesus doesn't expect us to do that. Well, look what he says. It's a yes and a no to that answer. And Matthew 23, 23 says, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees about how hypocritical they are with their giving. And he says this, Woe to you, teachers of religious law and Pharisees, hypocrites. That means you're, you say one thing and you do another. He says, For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest part of your income, but you ignore the most important things of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. He said, Jesus said, you should tithe, yes, but you should not leave undone the more important things, justice, mercy, and faith. You see, the American church, what we have done is we've turned it around. We love to talk about justice, mercy, and faith, but we hate to tithe. The mention of this word today has already offended some of you. And the challenge is, is that we have got to get our mind thinking the way God thinks about our resources. See, God's not asking for you to give 10%. He's saying, I'm allowing you to use 90% in your life as a good steward. Because remember, it all belongs to him. So the first challenge is to give. Now, two reasons why we tithe. There's actually a lot, but I'm only going to give you two. There's a lot of reasons. Number one, God says so. He says, bring it. Again, the tithe is a principle. When we talk about tithe and offering, we talk about it as a principle. It's not the ceiling in which we hope to reach. I hope to reach 10% one day. It's the floor in which we walk on. It's the beginning point of a generous, of a generous life. 
right? And he says, God says so. You do it because it's right. The second reason you do it is because our spending shows our values. It says what's important to us. It says what we value. Now, on top of that, the tithe is a, is a measure of our trust. It's a measure of our heart. It is an act of worship. It's an it is an antidote to the poison of materialism. It has so much value, but it, 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 preachers have manipulated and construed this, but the reality is this. God says, trust me on this. Trust me. It's the only thing in the Bible that God says, test me about this and see if I will not prove it so. Should I tithe somebody say to a church if they spend money in ways I don't agree? First of all, I want you to know we don't spend money in ways that I don't think you would disagree in. Uh, we don't have an, a big uh, budget. We don't have a big staff. I mean, I'm the only paid staff person in our entire church. Uh, we give on, uh, minimal honorariums to a couple of people just to show their our appreciation for the work that they put in. But if this is an issue for you, you know, like should I give tithe to a church that I don't agree with how they spend their money? Well, technically, yes, and I'll explain. Is it all right to give to places instead of my church? Well, technically, no, and I'll explain. I've heard it explained this way. Two examples. What if I thought that staying faithful to my wife was unfair because I didn't agree with her? So I gave myself to another woman who I trusted. And you might say, well, that's obscene to even use that example. But in many ways, that is the relationship that God has called us to as family. Another reason is that, uh, or another example is when Jesus said, hey, guys, toss me some money. And they said, should we pay bills? Should we pay taxes? Jesus said, hey, who's on that coin? Caesar. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God. Now, what's that mean? It means you do it because it's right. You don't give your taxes because you agree with how your taxes are spent. You do it because it's right. It's asked of you. See, these are basic principles. God has called us to do something, and we may not always understand, but we are to, to do it because God says it's right. Because there's actually people that are hurt when we don't do this. God will judge the person who receives that income or that, that tithe that offer from the church. God will hold me accountable. God will judge me, will judge uh, those churches for their stewardship, not you. But he will hold you accountable or your stewardship. So who gets hurt when we don't do this? Well, your church suffers, you suffer, your family suffers, and your friends suffer. Because when the church is lacking, then the ministries in the church are lacking, and its ability to be a light to the community is dim. So thank you to those who make it possible for us to reach lives every week. This is not a free venue. The resources that we provide for our ministries and our church, they're not free. Thank you that you care enough to trust God with this issue. You know, we're about to move across the street. And there's real, there's real reasons why Christians don't give. There's two reasons. Number one, they don't trust their church. So if you don't trust us, please find one you can and plug in and give to that one. Or they don't trust their God. And... I'm going to be honest with you, you know, we, we are moving across the street and our rent will be about the price of our rent here. We're going to be leasing that place. However, what we don't have here that we will have there are utilities. We don't pay for electricity here. Feel that air conditioning? We don't pay for that, okay? And when there's drips in the room, we don't pay for that. And the mice you see running around, you obviously know we don't pay for that. All right? 
We don't, we don't pay for, for the paper towels and the toilet paper and for the cleaning crew to come in, right? But when we move, we will have utilities. We will have electric bills. We will have uh, a new measure of, of utility bills, water bills. We will have, uh, you know, maintenance fees, you know, and paper towels to buy and toilet paper. And we'll have to keep it clean. And, and these are things, these are expenses that we don't have now. So, yes, we're moving over across the street where it's comparable in rent, but we are stepping out in faith that we will have enough to cover what is more than what we pay now. And that's going to happen when our members understand this principle of being givers. Our cost moving forward is going to require faith, and it's going to require your faith. So I want to encourage you. It's not just a free ride moving across. It is a step of faith for all of us, and I believe it's uh, an exciting step. All right, so you give, and you're like, man, I'm glad you're done with that. Well, I'm going to challenge you. There's a lot of verses on it. Here's the second thing on, on uh, flows out of what we do. Is number two is we pay. Pay your bills. Okay, very simple. Live wisely within your means. I've heard it said two ways. Uh, get the facts. That means get a budget. I've got some verses here. You know the Bible says to get a budget? The Bible tells us in Proverbs that we need to know what our cattle are, how much it costs to feed them, what our household income is, that we need to get the facts. Some of you guys, you haven't sat down. You haven't figured out a budget. You're just man, swiping that card until it says rejected, right? And you're like, oh, man, I thought I had more. Lord, help me get through the week because you don't have a clue as to what you're plowing through, right? And the Bible says, be wise, and live within your means. Get a budget. Know what comes in. Know what goes out. And, and here's the second thing. Get the facts and eat what you kill. Not what you think you can eat at 5% interest. A lot of times we, we think, well, I can't really afford it, but I got this card that says I can't afford it. Use your credit cards sparingly, if at all. If, you, if you're determined to have one, you know, I suggest that you stay away from them because they, they're not our friend. These companies are not giving us free money so that we can live a happy life. They're giving money with the assumption that 85% of people miss a payment. And when they do that, 5% goes to 29%. Hello, you'll never pay it off. And all of a sudden, something that's like $150 has now, through extended payments and 29% interest, is now costing you $700. As long as I make the minimum payment, I'll be fine. Yeah, for the next 15 years. So if you have a credit card, you need to be wise, live within your means. You know, so I'm going to get a credit card. My wife talks about this all the time. and Well, it's come up a few times, not all the time, because I'm like, I don't feel good about it. Is that people get a credit card and they put all their bills on it all their bills because they want to rack up, you know, points, right? And they want to get miles on it. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, all it takes is that one time where it's one day over and boom, 29%, we'll never, we'll never have this alpha. This is a monkey on our back. The Bible talks a lot about debt. So eat what you kill, not what you think you can eat at 5% interest, all right? And, and get the facts. This is a big challenge. Pay your bills, all right, and by the way, the most important bill in your life, if there's a priority bills, is your shelter, all right? Food and shelter, two most important bills of your life, all right? Um, there's all kinds of books on that. I'm not a financial advisor. These are biblical principles. And the last thing is this, GPS, give, pay, and save. Save, live 
with eternity in mind. We save not because we're investing in this life. We save because we're investing in eternity. Let me explain. The value of being wise and saving what you can. Some of us have the ability to save more. Some of us have uh, no ability to save. Save what you can. Now, there, there's all these financial plans on how much you should have in a savings account. And, and some people, they stress about not having that amount. Um, the goal is to try to save, continue to save, do your best to save, because it's about living with eternity in mind. For example, Proverbs 21.20 says, Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling or savings. But a foolish man devours it all, right? A wise person learns to save. You see, when we live content and generous lives, we have money saved. We are able to sow into the kingdom and involve ourselves in the adventures of the kingdom of God on this road trip. For example, when I said earlier, Honduras, many of you are like, no. Pa-ching. You know, immediately you're like, it's a wall right, because your confidence is in your finances. But God says, you know, if you could learn to save, you know, we got five months, for instance, we go to Honduras. If you're able to raise through fundraisers and save at least $375 for about four months, four and a half months, you'll be there. You can go to Honduras. Now, that's if you just save, not including the fundraisers that we're going to have. But that's with anything. That's with anything in life. You know, we invest and we save with eternity in mind. It's not about building up an, an earthly inheritance, but using and having our money to be able to sow. How many of you guys have ever heard one of our missionaries come up here and they talk about a need, they show the video, and you're like, oh, man, I wish I could be a part of that. And you can't. Well, this saving part is about that. You're saving so that you can have money to sow into the kingdom when God moves on your heart. This is the beauty of the give, pay, save. Very simple. It's not a 20-step program to wealth. It's not like a, you know, a 10-week seminar on getting your finances in order. It's very simple. Most people, we don't have the time. Or the, some of you guys, God gives us different spiritual gifts. Some people are really great with money. And you're, you're just, it comes natural for you. Just like some of you, you're very musically inclined, and music is very natural for you. For some people, thinking and how to handle money is very natural for some of you. And you don't obsess over it, you don't worry over it, but it's something that you can calculate and use with wisdom. That's a spiritual gift. But we all need to learn how to be wise with it. Those that have this natural gifting towards money, they might read financial books and do all kinds of things in the market and get all excited. And Man, money excites them, not because they love it, but because they love to be a part of giving it and being generous. And what it can do, they see it as a tool, and it's awesome. And then others are like, man, I just, I just give me something simple. That's most of us. GPS, give, pay, safe. Okay? I want to end with this verse. Jesus said this in Luke 16, verse 10. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much more. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. He's talking about resources. He says, so if you have been trustworthy in handling, he says, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, temporary stuff, who will trust you with true riches, eternity, the riches of God's understanding and knowledge? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, 
who will give you property of your own? See, there's a biblical principle here. It says God expects us to be wise in this world with temporary stuff because it's a reflection of how we are trustworthy with spiritual stuff, okay? It says the part of this is important. How can I trust God with eternal things, God, Jesus says, if I can't trust you with worldly things? See, this is the part of the road trip, as I said, where being wise and stepping out in faith are married. So I have a question. Are you sacrificing for this life or for eternity? It starts with how you think, and it flows out of what you do. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. God, um, God, it was a challenging word today. Is and, and for some of us, it was uncomfortable. Uh, but Lord, I thank you that you care about these things because you care about us. Uh, I thank you, Lord, that true riches is contentment. And true wealth in the spirit is knowing that we are born again and saved and walking with you as a child, as a son and daughter of God. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you don't grade our value upon how much money we have or don't have. And Father, I know that even in this room, just like it was in the Bible times, there are people here that have plenty and there are people here that have want, that struggle. And Lord, we are all family. And God, I pray that you'd help us all to to learn what it means to to think right, to not put our value in what we own and what we make, and that we would find our value in being a child of God, a son and daughter of God through Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this uh, challenging word. Help us to be people who give, pay, and save. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.